If you of you were at the uh, service yesterday for Sharon, <clears throat> and uh, I was told that these flowers, there's 42 of them, and they all represent uh, the years that Gary and uh, Sharon uh, were married. So <clears throat> just a side note there, and uh, what a special privilege it is to have had Gary and Sharon shortly, not a long time with us, but just a wonderful blessing both of them have been in our lives. Um, <clears throat> so let's uh, open our Bibles to Daniel 9. I trust that you've been encouraged by this study. It seems so timely. Um, there's just been so many things regarding national uh, world events that uh, help us to grasp again that there is a God who is over it all. This is my Father's world. And even though the darkness may seem strong, he is the ruler yet. So those are uh, some, <clears throat> I think, some timely uh, reminders as we're going through the book of Daniel. Well, the subject today is going to be on hindered prayers and princes at war. I don't know if you've experienced the, the hostilities, the sense of conflict in the world's scenarios in our own country. Um, and this study has a little bit to do, a lot to do, with where some of that is coming from. So let's look at uh, <clears throat> chapter 10. And I will read it through and then we'll go into it. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great conflict, a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up. And there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. <clears throat> his body was like chrysolite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men, the men who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. <clears throat> he said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them, 
But the prince of, Pers of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because he was detained there, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face to the, toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I am helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. <clears throat> Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed, he said. Peace, be strong now, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. All right, so let's look at uh, <clears throat> some things regarding uh, Daniel and the book. It seems like the, uh, well, I know that the whole book is divided in half. The first six chapters have to do with men who've had visions. The last section are of Daniel and him having visions. So the first uh, section is on Nebuchadnezzar and him seeing the vision of the gold statue. The version of man of himself is a big gold statue, a big statue that is huge. <clears throat> so the inflated idea of man and his kingdoms. Um, so we have the head of gold, the silver uh, chest area, the bronze, and the iron legs. And then last of all, we find always in, in, the, uh, in this particular vision, the stone, which is the kingdom of, of God, coming and crushing all these all of these uh, empires. And I think that's interesting because in the Lord teaching us to pray, he said, uh, uh, <clears throat> Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. And so that is going to happen. One day the Lord will take up his reign and he will rule over all the nations of the earth. But... This vision is one, a precursor, a kind of a, a, a view of what's going to happen in the near future for these kings. So we have the gold, <clears throat> Babylon, we have silver, Media Persia, and then we have Greece and Rome. <clears throat> so now, then Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. That one's of a tree that gets cut down. And that's when he gets kind of cocky, thinking he, he can do whatever he wants. Isn't this my, the kingdom I built? And he ends up being told by the Lord that he's, uh, you know, it's been taken away from him. And he's going to be eating grass for a few years until he comes to his senses. And he does. 
And then he acknowledges who the true king of kings is. Belshazzar is not necessarily a vision, but it's one that Daniel did give an interpretation to about the handwriting on the wall. So Daniel's visions now uh, are, he has a vision in the first year of Belshazzar, and that is of four beasts. And you see in the section next to it there, the, the lion is Babylon, the Medo-Persia is the bear. It rises up on one side and it gets is higher on one side than the other. Then you have the Greece and then we have Rome. So these are visions of, of empires, of nations, of battles, of conflict. And we think of our world as just one conflict after another. I was talking to my dad <clears throat> this week and he was talking about what it was like during the, uh, during, thank you, during the, uh, Second World War, or just after the Second World War, and how uh, just the loss of men, the, the, the war mentality that was going on, and then you think back of, you know, you think of Hitler, you think of Rome, you think of uh, just all, all of our history is just war, 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 empire, empire, and you wonder, where is this all coming from? And uh, we find that part of, that most of it is because we decided that we were going to <clears throat> do things our own way. And so we gave an entrance to the enemy. So let's look at the setting for this, um, this passage. It's, let's look at the time, its message, and its effect. So it's in the third year of Cyrus. The third year of Cyrus. If you look in chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. And Daniel remained there, this is talking about just the very first chapter <clears throat> with um, Hananiah and, uh, and all the other, the other four men, but it says, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's interesting, he remained until the first year of King Cyrus, and yet here it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we wonder, well, what has really happened here? Well, it seems to me, and from what other, other men have said, Daniel has come to the end of his public career. Uh, he's no longer in the service of a king. He's still in the service of the king. And he's probably in a retirement mode here. His, the time is also interesting. He's probably in his late 80s, maybe early 90s. And you can kind of do the math if he was taken captive as a teenager, which is most likely the case. Um, and then you add the 70 years. We talked about the last time we were uh, going through Daniel and how the wrestling with Jeremiah's prophecy and realizing, hey, it's, it, it's here, it's time. And of course, Cyrus was the one who gave the, the edict or the decree that they could go back to uh, Israel. So that puts him right in the late 80s, early 90s of his life. Notice he's still called Belteshazzar. Uh, I think that's interesting. Um, it says who was called Belteshazzar. So his prestige, the Nebuchadnezzar had given him a name that still seems to be carrying all, all the time of his life. Well, there's a message. There's a message. It says this. <clears throat> a revelation was given to Daniel. A revelation. And then it says, its message, the, the content of this revelation. Its message was true 
and it concerned a great war. So it's a revelation, it's divine origin. I was thinking of um, Dave uh, Kearns as he talked last week about Paul and the gospel. It was given to him, it was a revelation, it was divine, it was from, it was from God. And here, um, Daniel has a revelation, it's divine origin. It's a message, it's valid and it's violent. It's true, it's regarding a war, a great conflict. And it's interesting, he ends it too when he says what is written in the book of truth. So it's a message that's uh, worth listening to. Now, the understanding of this vision, of, excuse me, of this revelation, comes by way of a vision. So it seems like he had seen a vision, he had had this revelation, and now God is going to reveal more to him about the understanding of this vision. The understanding of this message came to him in a vision, which is going to happen now. So its effect, what, did it, what was the effect of this, uh, this revelation on him? He seems to have really been concerned. He seems to really be agonizing over what does, the, what does this mean and what am I going to do with it? So he's concerned. Just think of it. He's 90, probably 90 years old. He's retired now. We have time just to sit back and relax, right? But he's not. He's concerned. He's engaged. In fact, it says he's emotionally engaged he's, and physically engaged. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned. He was concerned. He mourned. This got him. This gripped him. This was serious. He mourned for three weeks. And he did something more than that. He didn't eat any food or choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. This was serious stuff for him. He was into this. He was, I need to know, Lord, what are you telling me? I wonder about you. Do you have any conflicts in your life? Has God revealed anything to you? Do you agonize over it? How, what do you want me to do, Lord? What is the meaning of all this? Um, well, I should hope that that means something. This is not just some old man sitting over here and having a little thing by himself in his old age. No, he is engaged. He's still there. He has been in the council of kings over and over. He's seen him rise and he's seen him fall. And he still cares about his people. He's seen his own nation destroyed. Uh, he was most likely castrated and taken captive with these other four guys, at least. Um, so he's, he is, he's seen the ups and downs. Uh, some of us have not been in world wars. Some of us have not been in Vietnam. Some of us have not been in, you know, over in the East. Some of you have, and you know what war is like, and the tragedy and the trauma that comes from it. And I'm sure that Daniel is in this. He is engaged. He is concerned. Lord, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? And so he's engaged. He's fasting and he's praying. He hadn't checked out yet. So he's asking God, what do you want me to do? And I like that. In Psalms 27, it says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. But I notice the progression I ask this, and then I seek. 
And Jesus says the same thing. He says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock, and it shall be given or open to you. But we don't get very far sometimes. We just ask. But the agony of prayer, the agony of God, I need to know. What's the answer here? And I love this man of God. He's not retired from the service of the King of Kings, and he is still agonizing. He wants to know. He asks, he seeks, he knocks. He's at the throne. So let's look to the next part, the vision of a man. There's a location, a description, and I think an identity here. <clears throat> so he's on the banks of the great river, uh, the Tigris. The Tigris is just east of the Euphrates. It says, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like chrysolite, his face was like lightning, his eyes like flames of torches, <clears throat> his arms like and legs like gleam of uh, burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Quite a description of a man, isn't it? A man dressed in linen. Now, if you turn over to chapter 12, it picks up after he tells a lot of what's, what this vision's about. It kind of ends here with, in chapter 12, verse 6. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and half a time. Somebody else is going to cover that, but I just want you to know that it picks up again about this man that he's seen. Who is this man? Well, there is a very striking resemblance to the vision that John sees in Revelation chapter, 12, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Remember, John has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and he's there, and the Lord appears to him. This trumpet sounds, and it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands, one was one like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Very similar to the one he saw, remember the linen and the gold belt around his waist? And then it goes on, it says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire, his feet like, the bronze, like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held... Seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So I, there's, you study the different commentaries on this, and there's, people think this is Christ, and some people say, no, this is Gabriel. And uh, <clears throat> I had a hard time deciding at first. In fact, I even have it in my Bible. I got, no, this can't be Christ because later he needs help. Uh, that doesn't sound like Christ. He wouldn't need help. Um, so I believe this was a, a um, pre-incarnate 
vision of Christ. And I will go with that interpretation. Let me think of the, let's think of the necessity of this vision. Um, <clears throat> a prerequisite to understanding any revelation from God is to first see Christ, to see him in his position above the waters, to see him over the waters. Notice in, in the passage in Daniel, this man in linen was above the waters. He was over the waters. To know that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and he directs it like a water course, like a river, wherever he pleases. Because this vision is all about nations. This, this is about empires and what's going to happen. And he is above it all. He is over it all. To remember that surely the nations are like only a drop in a bucket before him. So before the great conflict, we need to see the great conqueror. So I think that's the necessity for this vision of seeing the Lord high and lifted up like Isaiah did um, and to get a picture of who he is. When you look at all the things that were terrorizing Daniel as he sees these visions, it's interesting that the vision that got him the most was this vision of this man. <clears throat> and I think that's important. Notice the intensity on others. It says, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. The men with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. Interesting, it was unseen. Some people think that, well, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. I've been in places where I didn't see something, but I knew something was there. And these men knew they did not see anything, it says, but they knew something, and such, they were overwhelmed with terror, so much so that they ran and hid and hid themselves. And I think that, isn't that an interesting thing? And Maybe it comes to your mind as well. Do you remember when Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, the light came down and shone on him? That was a, that was a fascinating passage too, and it's very similar to, to this one. So as he, as he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This is Jesus talking to him. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. And so I think there's a very similarity here to this same passage in Daniel. So he's left alone, it says. So the intensity of this vision on others was that this was scary. So much so that they ran and fled and hid. On himself, it says, he felt alone. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale. I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into deep sleep. So in the first section, it seems like he's very self-conscious about where he is. I'm alone. I'm the only one here. I, I feel very scared. I'm alone. 
I don't have no strength left. My face, I'm helpless. And so he's self-conscious and now he's unconscious because he falls into this deep sleep. Same thing that John, the, John in <clears throat> the Revelation passage does. He falls as though dead. I was thinking, don't you think this is a strange procedure for God to use to bring a revelation to an old man who served him faithfully all his years? Wouldn't it be more like, hey, bud, come here, let me tell you, let me get inside scoop on what's going to happen. He doesn't do it that way. He scares the life out of this guy. And I was thinking of Proverbs where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Daniel, the dear man of God, the man who we're going to find out is highly favored. It's not just, hey, you're my buddy. It's, I'm still God. And you need to see me that way. John, the guy who was leaned on Jesus' breast, remember? When he saw him, he had the same response. I think it's important for us to remember who we serve, to remember Christ, to see him in his exalted position. So the vision comes before explanation. <clears throat> so now we look at uh, Gabriel's assistant, assistance. So a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And then a word is spoken, a word of honor and privilege. Highly esteemed. A man highly esteemed. Do you like that? He was highly esteemed. He was highly esteemed by Nebuchadnezzar. He was highly esteemed by Darius, remember? Um, not so much for Belteshazzar, but that's poor guy. He died anyway. So, um, <clears throat> But these guys highly esteemed him. Um, a faithful man. A man of God. Interesting Gabriel comes to another lady. Do you remember Mary? And he said, you're highly favored. What an interesting, what a privilege, what an honor to, to be given that title. Man, highly esteemed. And then there was a tension and a commission. Consider carefully. Just because you're highly esteemed doesn't mean you just go, oh, yeah, right, sure. No, it's consider carefully carefully what I have to tell you. I wouldn't be telling you if you weren't highly esteemed. Nobody else got this vision. An explanation. <clears throat> so it says, on the first day, a hand touched me. He said, Daniel, you're highly esteemed. He set me trembling on my feet. And he said, don't be afraid. Since the first day, verse 12, that you have set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself. He set his mind from the first day that you did this to gain understanding and to humble yourself. Interesting how the two go together. You want understanding, you don't exalt yourself, you humble yourself. I don't get it. I need help. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Right? He might exalt you in due time. So he... To, in order to gain understanding, he humbles himself and he sets his mind to find out what do you want me to do, Lord? And then it goes on and find, we find a 20-day resistance and assistance. But the prince of Persia, <clears throat> the 
prince of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now that just brings up a whole bunch of questions, doesn't it? So there's a resistance, there's a prince of the Persian empire, and then there's the assistance, Michael, the chief of princes. We know about Michael, the archangel. Um, he's the one who in Jude, I believe it says he didn't dispute with, the, with Satan regarding the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael and Gabriel are two of the chief angels. And so Michael comes into the picture here. But we have this spiritual conflict going on. <clears throat> and so then it goes on, it says, the present day, now, now I've now come to explain both a personal issue, your people, and a future time yet to come. I want to think about this invisible war a little bit. The unseen cosmic and spiritual warfare that exists is not without effect in the visible arena of our lives. So we have a little picture of what's going on in the heavenly places right here. He talks about the prince of Persia. Who is the prince of Persia? Because right after that he says, the king of Persia. Oh, wait a minute. The king had a prince? Or is he talking about something different? The prince of Persia and we have the king of Persia. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The idea of a prince, somebody who is, has a jurisdiction, a principality, powers, the ruler of this, rulers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's where our warfare is at. It's not against flesh and blood. The flesh and blood is definitely there. But the real issue is something going on higher up. Notice Prince of Persia and Michael, your prince, are both referred, referring to angelic strongholds over jurisdiction of people and places. Michael, your prince, the prince, one who has given jurisdiction over Israel. <clears throat> I wonder if we think of that today. Do you think of that today? Do you wonder why in the world North Korea is like it is? What dark place that is. What horrible stuff goes on there. Why isn't something changed? What, what dominion does, has a stranglehold over that place? How about Iran? Some of these, there's a prince of Persia still there given dominion over these people. We find something about this in John chapter 12. Jesus says this, <clears throat> Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Who's he talking about? Not talking about Rome, is he? No, he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about a heavenly, somebody in the heavenlies who is causing problems, the prince of this world. Later on, he says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. Here again, this prince comes up. He has no hold on me, by the way. 
Remember in Mark chapter 3 when they were saying, well, he's driving out these demons by the power of Beelzebub, who is the prince of demons. Interesting these words, prince, keep coming up. Remember when, remember when uh, in Isaiah 14, where we find a picture of who Satan is. It talks about the king of Babylon, and then it says, you, how have you fallen, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You go, wait a minute, who's he talking about? He's talking about Babylon, the king of Babylon? And yet there is a power going on that is referring to something different. And then you switch over to Ezekiel 28, where it's talking about Satan as well. It says, the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, in the garden of God. Go, no, he wasn't. But do you see this? There is a, this, the king and there's a prince. There's a king and a prince. There is the earthly and there is the heavenly going on here. So what happens to Daniel? We're going to find out the rest of the story. Um, <clears throat> Eric is on and then Tim is going to finish it up. Because this is three chapters of this same story. And I just get the first part here of setting the stage of what's going on and what Daniel is um, going through. So, I find interesting Daniel's recovery. The one who looked like a man touched me. So notice his face is on the ground. Now he's set trembling on his hands and knees. And then he stands up, trembling, and finally it says, my strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. And finally he says, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So verse 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O, high, o man, highly esteemed, he said, peace, be strong now, be strong. And when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said, do you know why I have come to you? Soon I return to the fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. I find that interesting because the book of Revelation tells you the final story, doesn't it? In fact, we're going to see in the last chapters of Daniel, we find out there is a conqueror who does win everything, and Satan is put in his place. But some observations on prayer here, because this is a man of God who is highly uh, esteemed, and you're going to go through conflict. I'm going to go through conflict, no matter what happens in our lives. If you're a child of God, you're going to go through conflict. Remember, we have an enemy who roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Daniel has lived in an empire, several different nations. He's seen chaos in his life. You and I live in an, a nation. We may see chaos that we never thought we'd see before. I don't know. But the possibility is there. And Daniel is a man of prayer. We've already seen him praying three times, remember? It was just practice, facing, opening the window and looking. He was a man of prayer. Are you a man of prayer? In spite of the high position that he was given, he was a man of prayer. When things got tough, he went to God in prayer. He got his buddies, come on, pray with me. We've got to get this figured out. 
So observations on prayer. All real prayer is heard. Notice it says here from the first day that you set your heart, you set your mind. All real prayer is heard. Answers may be delayed. Answers may be delayed. In the first, in the chapter before, nine, before 10, verse 9, it said he had a dream as well. And it said the first day, Daniel, Gabriel was right there. This one, we've got three weeks. Answers may be delayed. The same angel that was delayed also said to Mary, because this was Gabriel, nothing is impossible to God. And we need to realize that. Nothing is impossible to God. Prayer, the answer might be delayed. We might go through some hard stuff. But nothing is impossible for God. Revelation of conflict demands intercession, not running and hiding. It demands us to intercede. I think it would be good for us as a church to pray more for our country. We don't do it too much. And as a body, we should be lifting up our president, we should lift up our nation, the, the people who rule in this place, that God would intervene, that God would give them sense to rule justly. Revelation of conflict demands intercession. We were all praying when, uh, when the uh, Twin Towers got knocked down, right? Too bad it has to get to that extreme. But revelation of conflict demands intercession. Existence of conflict never negates God's ability, but magnifies his forbearance and patience. Isn't that true? I mean, he just got through seeing Christ, if he saw, if that was Christ, which I think it was. I mean, and he's totally wiped out. The other stuff scared him too. He was mourning. But now he sees Christ, he goes, oh. So, the existence of conflict never negates God's ability, but magnifies his waiting, his forbearance, his patience, his long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And lastly, highly favored men and women are serious about prayer. Highly favored men and women are serious about prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are still on the throne. Think of the day when it's shouted, he has taken up his power to rule over all men, to put down every opposition. In the meantime, Lord, you are glorified even in the demise and the rise of nations. Men ought to see the cruelty and the wickedness of that which drives them as men in sin. The Hitlers, the Mussolinis, the Pol Pot, the, all these guys who've done horrible things. And it should tell us something too. It should tell us even as the guns go off in Ukraine and Russia, even as North Korea and all those others rattle their sabers, it should remind us that man is, without God, is a cruel despot. And we need a savior. We need a prince of peace. 
We thank you, Lord, for Christ who did come, who did conquer the prince, who, the prince that had no hold on him, who destroyed the works of the devil, and one day he will sit down and take his rightful place, his throne on this earth. In the meantime, Lord, if we go through conflicts in our families, in our homes, in our, with our children, with our parents, with our boss, with our government, whatever it be, Lord, help us to be men like Daniel who set our minds to know your mind and to follow you and to obey you. We thank you that you're still the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen.